And uh, what Tom said, a geek. I would appreciate it if you get it right. I am not a nerd. I am a geek. And so glad we have that all out and uh, in the open. Before the service started, um, I was asked a question that I think is probably good and appropriate, and that is, I wasn't a part of the intro to Greek class. Can I still be a part of the reader's class coming up? We're starting Monday the 27th at, at 7 o'clock. This is going to be a class to learn how to read, understand, translate Greek. And uh, my answer was no, you don't have to, the, the intro class isn't necessarily a prerequisite. If you want to do that, let me know, and I will send you a PDF that has the Greek alphabet and some pronunciation rules, and uh, you can get up to speed before we actually start. And if you don't get that done and you still want to start, come, observe, and we'll get the materials to you, and you can begin to pick it up. And we want anybody who wants to learn Greek to get involved and, and um, have the opportunity to learn. How many churches this size have a class where you can learn to read, understand Greek. Oh, how many churches at all, you know, do? Not, there's not very many. There might be some somewhere, some huge churches somewhere. But this is quite an opportunity. So I want everybody who wants to. I just read this last week as a quote from Zwingli. This has nothing to do with the message. As a quote from Zwingli, he was one of the reformers. He was a Swiss reformer uh, at the time of the Reformation. And he said, Something to the effect, I won't get the quote just exactly right, but he says, I am so determined to learn Greek, only God could stop me. <laughs> so if you have that feeling that I, I really, really want to learn Greek, I don't think God's going to stop you. Show up, okay? And uh, since I'm kind of on that, um, I just thought maybe I'd share a little bit about the Hebrew class coming up too. I'm hoping that'll start sometime in March. I'm hoping we'll be done before the end of May, before we get to summer. I'm still working on the materials uh, for that. Um, it'll be very similar to the Intro to Greek class in that we'll learn the alphabet, we'll learn the vowel pointing, we'll learn uh, pronunciation rules. Um, we'll also uh, have practice reading in the Hebrew Old Testament. Uh, we will look to see how the Hebrew language works, and we'll have insights from the Hebrew Old Testament. One of the things we didn't do in Greek, but I'm planning on doing in Hebrew, is that I'm planning on trying to teach you some modern Hebrew words and phrases that would be helpful also. It's nice if you ever get the chance to go to Israel to be able to say please and thank you and see you later and stuff like that. And so I plan to also share some of that in that class. But there'll be more information on that uh, in the future. Tonight, we're going to go to Psalm 23. Has anybody ever heard of that one? You know, that's, <laughs> that's probably got to be one of the most loved passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. I know people who aren't even saved, and they love the 23rd Psalm. Thank you for taking care of that, that, um, that well sound that I was in. I was in the, I was in the pit here. A <laughs> uh, lot of people love the 23rd Psalm, and uh, so we want to take a look at that and I will, I will, as we go through it, I will give you kind of a, what I usually call a wooden translation or a, at least a phrase of it or something that it's uh, not the kind of translation you would actually probably read. It's, when I say wooden, wooden, it means it's kind of rough and rigid. Um, but 
We're going to look at some, hopefully some Hebrew insights as we look at Psalm 23. Before we do that, though, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your blessings on us. We're thankful for the worship time. We're thankful for, uh, I was just amazed at some of the messages in the songs and what I knew to be coming up in the notes here. And I could see your fingerprint on it, knowing that this is from your Holy Spirit. I give you thanks for that. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would have his way and that you would be glorified this evening, that you would bless your word to your people. It's your word. We're your people. We know that you want to say something to us. Help us to hear from you and to uh, then go out and do what we've heard. We ask you to give encouragement and that you would uh, uh, help us to know you better, love you more, and therefore walk in your ways and become more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. So let's just read through it first and then we'll come back and, and talk about it. Not very long. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The Bible often uses the picture of God shepherding his people. Uh, We see this in a number of places. One example is in Ezekiel 34 verses 11 through 15. For thus says the Lord God, that's Lord Yahweh, it's the word for Lord and, the, and the, the name of God, the Lord Yahweh. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the streams, and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground, and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock, and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. Then also in Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7, you... uh, may remember singing this sometime in the past. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. David, who wrote the 23rd Psalm, knew what it was to be a shepherd as he cared for his father's sheep. Uh, Before he went out to face Goliath, he told King Saul that he had kept his father's sheep and had killed both lion and bear that came to take a lamb from the flock. He went after each one and rescued the lamb from its mouth. And when they rose up against him, he seized it by its beard and struck him and killed him. And as he talked to Saul about this, he didn't say, uh, I'm confident I can go out and beat Goliath. And he didn't say, I'm confident that the Lord will give me the ability to go out and beat Goliath. He expressed confidence in his shepherd, 
his shepherd who would take care of him just as he was the shepherd who took care of his father's sheep. And he said, of his shepherd, he said, um, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the, land, uh, from the hand of this Philistine. He was confident that his shepherd would keep him. Jesus, of course, in John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, refers to himself as the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, uh, who is uh, not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, looking at Psalm 23, this was a one of those areas of confusion for me when I was a child. Uh, I, I would hear this read or hear it quoted, and the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I thought, what's the matter with David? I want the Lord as my shepherd. Why wouldn't David want the Lord as his shepherd? You know, it's just one of those things. I know I've always been a little slow. You probably never, never happened in you guys. But for me, that was, uh, I was going, what's going on with this? Um, and I didn't fully, uh, it took me a while to get what it was actually saying. That um, the Hebrew word means to, to uh, I will not lack, I will not be without, uh, to not have. Um, it's all carried in that word. One version Translation has it, I lack nothing. Another says, I shall not be in want. And one asks a rhetorical question, how can I lack? The Lord is my shepherd. How can I lack anything? (laughs) That's a good question. So the Lord is my shepherd. Well, that sounds a little bit personal, but it doesn't sound entirely personal. The Lord is my shepherd. That's like saying Trump is my president. Well, it's true. He is. And I think some people have that kind of relationship with God. They just say, well, the Lord is my shepherd. All right. It's like it's a title or something like that. But when we look at it in Hebrew, the word for shepherd is not a noun. It is a participle. The Lord is the one shepherding me. There you go. there's, There's a wooden translation for you coming right out of Hebrew. The Lord is the one shepherding me. Well, to me, that sounds a whole lot better. The one shepherding me? That indicates to me a relationship. It relates closeness. It sounds like it's continual. He's the one that was shepherding me yesterday. He's the one shepherding me today. He's the one shepherding me tomorrow. He is the one shepherding me. The word for shepherd in Hebrew also means to feed, to graze, to pasture. Uh, That's what shepherds do. And, And the word actually means all those things. Uh, so he's the one pasturing, he's the one tending, the one grazing, the one feeding, and even the one guarding, as we saw in David's testimony to Saul. Uh, David referred to him as the one who took him uh, um, from his mother's womb, that's in Psalm 22, and uh, even to old age, as we see in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, Fear not, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor will the flame scorch you. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. And then you skip down a little bit to verse, chapter 46, verse 4. Even to your old age, I am he. And even to graying hairs, I will carry you. 
I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry and will deliver you. Now, some of you are in the same kind of position in life that I'm in where you actually have fewer years ahead of you in this life and more years behind you. And some of you are younger and you have more years ahead of you and, you know, fewer years behind you. But these are a comfort. And I can look back as we my life and I can say surely goodness and mercy have indeed followed me all the days of my life and I'm going to talk about that more as we get towards the end but right now uh, you know I know that things are sometimes harder to do some things take longer um, it's just uh, you, you you can get to where you're feeling like you, there's less that you can do or you're maybe not as useful or something like that but that's not the way it is with with God he is uh, able to take us and carry us in his bosom, even like a lamb, even when we are to our great haired um, years. Um, Psalm 92, 14 through 15. And they shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. And so this this thing about the Lord is the one sh- shepherding me. Yahweh is the one shepherding me. This is something that can be for our whole lives. It's a continual thing. It is a personal thing. It is an intimate thing. So as we look at this first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. I will not lack um, and since we have this relationship that the Lord is the one caring for me as a shepherd, as a shepherd takes care of his sheep, uh, he says, I will not be in lack. In what things will I not have need? In what things will I not lack? Okay, well, let's look at each one of these. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It's, um, and for my wooden translation, it's the, in meadows of green, fresh, new grass. He causes me to lie down. When a sheep has had enough to eat, enough grass to eat, it lies down to chew's cud. So what will I not lack? I will not lack sustenance or food. He leads me beside still waters. And this isn't a still water like, a, like the Dead Sea where water flows in but doesn't flow out. Or it's not even like a mud puddle. <laughs> It's uh, meaning quiet waters. But for my wooden translation here, beside waters of resting places, he guides me and causes me to rest there. There is a this resting place, resting there. He leads me there and I rest there. I'll, I'll read that again. Besides waters of resting places, he guides me. And then the thought of the resting places is and causes me to rest there. That's a part of that meaning of this resting places. So what is it that I will not lack? I will not lack for refreshment or for the needs of life. You have to have water. You die in just a few days if you don't have it. And I will not lack for rest. He restores my soul. And literally, uh, my wooden translation is, he makes my soul return. He makes my soul return. Have you ever been so frustrated and so worn out and so put out that you just are like on the verge of depression and you just, you're, you're, 
your spirit's almost left you. You know, you're just so, so down, so dragged out, so tired. Things just wearing on you to the point that you just can't hardly deal with it anymore. He causes my soul to return. He makes my soul to return. I understand this to be a restoration of vitality, vigor, and strength, courage to renew, to invigorate. What is it I shall not lack? I shall not lack forgiveness. He's restoring my soul. I will not lack for strength or renewal. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. My wooden translation for you is he conducts me in the track. And this word for track means a beaten down wagon wheel type track. He conducts me in the track, beaten down by wagon wheels of righteousness. The way of righteousness is not a trail that can be lost. It is well-traveled path, rutted, packed down, and obvious. In fact, this highway, this is referred to in other scriptures as the highway of holiness. <clears throat> Isaiah 35.8, this is from the New American Standard Bible. A highway will be there, a roadway, and it will be called the highway of holiness. The unclean will not travel on it, but it will be for him who walks that way, and fools will not wander on it. Of course, in Psalm 18.30, it says that God's way is perfect. So, God has saved us by grace through faith. Why? That's the first part in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8. We read verses 8, 9, and 10. It's not by works. But why? Verse 10 for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him, beforehand that we should walk in him. So God has provided a way, a path, uh, things that he wants for us to do, a way that we're supposed to go, uh, good works that we're supposed to do. Uh, he's got these things prepared, and we need to walk in that path. In Psalm 37, verse 23, this is from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. A man's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. So when God has this way for us, this way that we're supposed to go, this highway of holiness, and he um, has these things that he wants us to do, these good works that he's prepared for us beforehand, when he has prepared our way and we walk in that way, this verse says that he takes pleasure in that. And I think that's pretty cool. That's a comforting thing that God would take pleasure if I'm walking in the way that he has prepared for me to go. Uh, I, I find great comfort in that. A man's steps are established by the Lord, and he takes pleasure in his way. When we walk in the steps that God has prepared for us, he takes pleasure when we do that. Take pleasure in, in walking in his way. May we always walk in his ways, in the firm path of righteousness. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the Lord has been very good. I can see him leading my way. I can see the path. And I was going out to Colorado this last June to be with my dad. Didn't sound like he was doing well. So I drove out to see him and not knowing what that was going to be like. And he died 
three, there was a little bit less than three weeks, uh, but I knew he was going down quickly. And I was a friend from Sioux Falls, he's actually a pastor, uh, called me while I was driving, and I said, well, this is what I'm doing, and, and um, I said, I don't know what it's going to be, I said, but the Lord has been directing our steps every step of the way. I know that he will lead in this also. And uh, when I get down the road of peace, I'll be able to look back and say, the Lord led. And, and he, for him, he thought, wow, that's, that's um, quite a statement of faith or something. He actually used it in a teaching. <laughs> and, in fact, the Lord did lead every step of the way. Everything worked and happened exactly as it needed to. Um, and, and, then, and then we were able to take care of my dad, and he passed away that month. And I look back and see that God is so faithful and he's so trustworthy. He prepares our path before us. He has the way to where to go. He is faithful. He will guide our steps. And, and it's not a big leap of faith to, to see that. You, know, you read his word and you see how he's dealt with his people. And you see that God has always been faithful and true. And he is fully deserving of all of our trust. Of all of our trust. And so um, this, this leading of the shepherd, the one shepherding us, and um, conducting our, us uh, on this path of righteousness um, for the sake of his name. He's completely trustworthy. What will I not lack? I will not lack for guidance on the good path, the way that befits his name. Now we want to notice at verse 4 that the psalmist actually switches. Up to this point, he's been referring to God in the third person, he, him, his. And now he's going to shift to the second person and talk directly to God, you. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. The word for evil, I will fear no evil. Uh, We think of evil in a sense of wickedness and sin and bad in Hebrew, the word for evil, it means those things, but it also means calamity and, and problems, uh, harm, injury, all those things, danger, all those things mean evil. And so, what do we lack? Do we, what do we not lack? We do not lack for protection. The shadow of death, that means deep darkness. And that's exactly what the word is. It's a compound word. It's the word for shadow, sol. And it's the word for death, mavet. It's all mavet. It's one word, the shadow of death. Uh, It's interesting to know that you can't have a shadow unless there's a light shining. But even in the hard parts, the hard times, I'm going to talk about this a little bit more later, but the difficult things, he's right there with us. He has not left us alone. For you are with me. What will I not lack? I will not lack for companionship, even when I'm in the hard places. Jesus is our Emmanuel. Uh, the Hebrew word for with, im, imanu, with us, Emmanuel, with us, God, Emmanuel. Your rod and your staff, the wooden translation, they make me comforted. What will I not lack? I will not lack for comfort, safety, protection, or security. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The word for enemies is also a participle. The ones attacking me. The ones attacking me. You prepare a table before me in the presence 
of the ones attacking me. A table, preparation. This is a setting out in order and arranging for food and a meal. I will not, what will I lack or what will I not lack? I will not lack for safety or food. In the presence of those attacking me, I am shielded. I can sit down and eat and not worry about being overcome by my enemies because he is my shield around me. They can't touch me if I'm sitting at his table. You anointed my head with oil. That was an old custom for an honored guest. Oil is often a biblical symbol. In the Old Testament, more often of good things, but in the New Testament, often a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, too, not, not just uh, good things in life, but both. It's used both ways. What will I not lack? I will not lack joy. I will not lack the Holy Spirit. My cup overflows a symbol of generosity and abundance. What will I not lack? I will not lack for anything. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. The word for goodness is actually goodness, but the word for mercy is a word, the Hebrew word is chesed. Um, If I remember right, it's used, uh, no, that's a different word, I'm sorry. It's the word chesed, though. And chesed, there is no English equivalent for it. All we can do is dance around different things that are included in that word. Mercy, yes, mercy is okay. That's not a bad translation. Um, But it also means unfailing love, steadfast love, faithful love, loving kindness. All those things are wrapped up in this word for chesed. Um. So surely goodness and unfailing, steadfast, faithful, loving kindness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Here's another one, though. That word for follow, that word is used 144 times in the Old Testament. And the word to be translated as follow, some translations only translate it as follow one time, and that's right here. Uh, there are some translations where maybe three or four times it'll be translated follow. So what about the other 140 plus times? Pursue. The I had a pastor some years back, a beloved pastor, the, word, the pastor who encouraged me to read through the Bible for the first time back in 1976, 77, and uh, a very dear man. And he was quoting a Scottish pastor who was talking about Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He says, it's like two little collie dogs. Or just As you go down your life uh, path, pathway through life, you get these two little collie dogs with you t- all the time. And that's a nice, pretty picture, but you get that from English, but you don't get that from Hebrew. They're not collies. They're bloodhounds. They're after you. Surely goodness and unfailing love, faithful love, mercy, these things are going to pursue me all the days of my life. Wow, that to me sounds something entirely different. But that's the word that's used. It's used in other places. It's used like when, um, like when Joshua sent the spies into Jericho and they went in to see Rahab and they came to Rahab and said, hand over those men that came to you. She said, oh, they left. 
But uh, go out and pursue them. Same word. Go out and pursue them. So they went out, spent a few days uh, pursuing nothing because they weren't out there. <laughs> and, and, but they were the pursuers. It's the same word. It's the same word. And that's, that's really the root of the word. Surely goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So what will I not lack? I will not lack for any good thing. I will not lack for mercy, unfailing, steadfast, faithful love, or anything else in this life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What will I not lack? I will not lack for anything in all of eternity. I won't lack anything in this life. I will not lack anything for all of eternity. Or as it says uh, literally in Hebrew, for length of days. God will fully take care of us in this life and in eternity. Well, it's a beautiful psalm about God's provision and protection for the ones who belong to him. But that's the catch. You have to belong to him. Now, I know I'm talking to the Wednesday night crowd, not the Easter Christmas crowd. And so most people here are probably saved. Uh, But, and, and, you know, that's really the first step. You have to come to Jesus and be saved. Uh, But there are some who will say that I'm saved, but they don't walk in obedience. They're not walking in that way that God has prepared. Perhaps they came to one of these hard things. They go, you know, this is just too hard. I don't like this. I'm going to get out. That's not not really a good way to go. In fact, it's, well, it's just not very smart (laughs) to leave the way that God is leading to go a different way. But there are some who aren't walking in obedience, not following the shepherd. How can he be shepherding you if you aren't following him? It just doesn't make sense. If the shepherd is leading this way and you're going to go this other way, uh, he's, he's not shepherding you. He, you're not following his path. He's the one that's leading you. Um, you're going up down a path he hasn't chosen, and you're, he's not able to lead you to the meadows of green, fresh, new grass or the waters of resting places. Uh, that's where he's going, and you're not going there if you're not following him. You can't expect his protection, his guidance, and provision if you've run off, and uh, if you're not following his ways, following him. So, you know, you say if you're not following him, then you're not in those places, the place with the meadows of green, fresh grass, and the the waters of resting places. I don't know why it is, but there just seems to always be somebody somewhere who has this feeling, what can I do and get away with? How far can I go and still be saved? And that's just entirely the wrong the wrong picture. No, don't try to figure out how far you can get away from Jesus and still be saved. Get as close to him as you can. That's the right place to go. Be as close to the shepherd as you can be. That's how you've come to the place of safety and go to the places that uh, uh, he wants you to be, that he wants to lead you to. Psalm 16 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Being close to him, that's where the fun is. That's where the good is. That's where the joy is. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Blessing is being in close to him, loving him, walking in his ways. So if you're not following him, uh, you cannot say he's leading you. Just how smart is that? Don't run off on your own. <laughs> As my dad used to tell me when I was little, um, um, you're just asking for a spanking. You're, 
I don't, don't do this. If you do this, you're just asking for a spanking. You're just saying, Daddy, spank me, please. <laughs> That's what he used to tell me. And, and you know, and, I, and he did. <laughs> I remember one time, I don't remember what it was I did, but I remember specifically being in the garage and thinking about a thing, going, well, my dad doesn't want me to do this. If I do it, I'll probably get spanked, but it may just be worth it, you know. <laughs> I remember it. It's, it's not. It's never worth it. But especially when it comes to our Heavenly Father. It's not. We never want to go to that place where He has to discipline us. Because He will. If he lo- he, because He loves us, He will. As we saw this uh, part about the shadow of death, sometimes He leads us into hard things. And it's true. Some things are hard. However, don't run off. He's still with us in the hard time. He's still leading us in the hard time, shepherding us. Um, you guys probably know what I'm talking about. You've probably prayed the same thing I have sometimes. You, you, you pray that prayer of the psalmist where uh, several places in the psalms. How long, O Lord, forever? Because <laughs> this is hard. And you want to be released, uh, released or relieved of whatever it is that you're going through. How long, O Lord? It's no surprise that in Greek, there's a couple of words that are translated as patience. There's one in particular. It's a compound word. And the two parts of the word means remaining under. And boy, isn't that the way it is? Sometimes you have something going on in your life and you don't really like it, but you go, this is where God led me. I know this is right. I know this is as well. This is really hard. And you just have to remain under. And uh, that's about, yet that word is used about 32 times in the New Testament, remaining under. It's often translated as patience or long suffering is a good word for that one. <laughs> or endurance is another um, word that might be used for that, to translate that word. But that's exactly what it feels like sometimes. I have to remain under and wait, remain there. Um, why the hard things? Well, God may have a number of different reasons for the hard things. It may be that your life is a testimony to others or something I don't know what all, but what's the important answer for me when I'm in that situation? The important answer for me is, why does God have me in this situation? So I will draw close to him. That's his desire. That's his will that we draw close to him, draw near to him. Uh, using my dad again as an example, I remember he was watching something on television and I would go up and sit down on the couch next to him and I would put my head against his chest and he'd take his great big old arm. He was he he looked like those statues of Greek gods, you know, except he wore clothes. And <laughs> he, he was very muscular, did a lot of weightlifting and everything. And I'd... I'd get up next to my dad and I put my head on his chest and against his shoulder and he'd put that great big old arm on me and I could hear his heart beating and I was safe. I was secure. And I could hear his heartbeat. The Bible says, do not become weary of doing good, but sometimes we do get weary. And even though that's a good thing, that he's led us to do, we still get weary. How do we obey the Bible and not grow weary? 
by keeping our eyes on Jesus. None of us have endured what Jesus endured. So I want to encourage you, stay in the race. Now, by staying in the race, you need to stay on the course, the path, the right path. If you're in a race and you're running really, really hard, and you might even be going at a, at a pace that is your PR, it's a personal record, but if you're not on the race course, you're wasting your time. <laughs> it doesn't count for anything. So stay in the race. Stay on the course. Run the race that the Lord has set before you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. It is just that simple. It can be hard, but it really is just that simple. What is God's will for my life? Well, Romans 12 tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we need to die to ourselves, stay the course, don't become like the world, read the Bible so that our mind can be renewed, so we can be transformed, and then we'll know God's will. And we know the Bible tells us that's God's will for it, that this is the will of God, even your sanctification. That's 1 Thessalonians 4.3. He wants us to be holy, so may we ever cooperate with the work of his Spirit through his word in making us holy like Jesus. God is entirely faithful and true. We can trust him. May we be also like David who said, My soul follows hard after you. Take refuge under the shelter of the shadow of his wing. Listen to his heartbeat. As one of his sheep, that is the most secure place, following the one shepherding us. Father, we are thankful for your word, your precious word. We're thankful for your great love. We're thankful for the blessing of your presence. I know that there are people in this fellowship of believers that are going through hard times and there are probably more going through hard times than I even realize but you know all of this you know you're intimately equated with each hard time for each one here please give grace to each one of these brothers and sisters help us all to remain under where you have led us help us to not grow weary of doing good Please help us to use the opportunity to draw near to you. Please help us to cooperate with your work in our lives by your Holy Spirit and by your word to be vessels fit for holy use, instruments you can use for your praise and glory. You are faithful and you are true, and we know we can trust you. Please help us to walk in that trust. As always, help us to love you and your word and walk in your ways as you are the one shepherding us. We ask in the name of our good shepherd, our precious Savior, Jesus, our Lord and King. Amen.